1: Welcome in to the RotoWire NFL podcast, John McKechnie, joined by Mario Puig, as always. And Mario, today we got some big news, uh, mostly regarding the combine. The official combine list came out. The combine itself starts later this month, I think February, like 26 is when when people start showing up. But as you might expect, uh, the name that everyone was looking for... Kyler Murray is on the uh, attendee list
2: yeah so that's interesting because the spring training I believe for the athletics is the 15th yes and so this is not necessarily binding in either direction but the 15th if he's not with the A's that would basically be unprecedented and like it would mean that he either uh took their I think offer or that they had had like revised it to provide him an exemption because you you can't go to the combine during spring training,
1: right? The, yeah, the way the way uh, it breaks down. Uh, JP Morosi from MLB.com reported uh, in January that if Murray were to participate in the combine, it would violate the guarantee language in yep. his MLB contract. Uh, and then from the Chronicle, uh, San Francisco Chronicle, it said that the A's were considering so, something kind of like what you were mentioning there, a bit of a workaround, a, a bit of a, a uh, you know going back to the drawing board as as far as the official language goes uh, to reconfigure some things in his contract if he were to go but Uh, the thing about that is is it's like recalling the interests of everybody involved
2: it's like Murray is only keeping the A's involved to see how high their offer will go because MLB already waived whatever rule and I don't know how they're allowed to do this but they were saying they're going to waive the rule that would normally limit the uh, contract offer you can give to a non-majors player right and so having heard them say that it's like from Murray's position you'd say okay well keep raising the amount then and if they go to a certain unspecified amount maybe he'll go like all right that's it I'm playing baseball but it hasn't gotten to that point and i think it's pretty clear by now that unless the a's provide whatever that offer is that would just lead murray to say like all right i'm done with football then he's probably going to go to football And them giving that exemption in spring training would not help them at all. Like they'd be better off just like saying, all right, we offered what we could and now we're done. Don't bother coming back because
1: he won't be. Yeah. And and, uh, again, uh, one one last little like housekeeping thing. Uh, The A's would be able to like hold on to his rights if he ever decided to come back. But yeah, the way that this is trending and the way it's been trending really is that Murray's going to end up choosing football. I think so, and, and it, it looks bad for baseball to continue to sort of bend their whims to this guy. Well, I mean, it's it's all everybody,
2: but Murray, I think, is basically a bad actor here, and I know that Murray's doing things that people find annoying, but he's like working within the system that these two cartels, MLB and the NFL, constructed with their you know respective illegitimate CBAs and whatnot. So it's like it's crap and stupid that MLB treats its minor league players the way it does and the players generally. And it's ridiculous that they can just waive that rule when it suits them. Um, But from Murray's position, again, it's like if they do waive it and they do keep raising the money they're willing to offer, fine. But, um, yeah, he's he's probably going to the NFL because it's not even close the first four or five years, the amount of pay that he would get. I've Mm -hmm. seen some people trying to – I know that the optics and and the audio – of the dan patrick interview were pretty bad yeah but it's like it it was one of those things where it's like it's not actually new information because he was that's what his stance was going in and yeah, it was he just like shouldn't have done that right history. it was embarrassing that he was there and like awkward for everybody involved but it's it it didn't actually lend any insight into anything other than that he was still trying to to you know put mlb and nfl's feet to the fire at the same time so he didn't take a position because he didn't have to Things like the 15th, things like the Combine are more actionably significant because I I don't know how this thing in the 15th comes and goes without it being clear. I feel like by the 15th, it'll just be like the A's are like, whatever, uh, give us our money back and we'll and we'll just still have the rights to if you do try to come back to MLB or something like that. Yeah,
1: because I, I really he has to pay
2: that signing bonus back immediately.
1: Yes, I would be shocked if he if he is there uh, to Me report. Too. yeah
2: and i think as much as people were kind of making a thing about like oh this is if i was a gm i would never want to draft murray what if he decides to change his mind and it's not really the right frame in my opinion because why would he change his mind materially try to explain why he would change his mind when he's changing his mind is to say i'll walk away from and by the way the nfl will try to get their signing bonus and guaranteed money back too. the same way that a's are if he were to just bail on football in a couple years it's almost a certainty that he would be cut by an NFL team before he would quit football. It's like it's just it's almost impossible for any other scenario to be serious. I think.
1: Yeah, it's just it's such a unique and kind of unprecedented uh, situation. And uh, I will say uh, for the A's. They knew what they were doing. Like, they knew what they were getting into. Like, Kyler Murray, it's not like he was some nobody like Joe that was, oh, he was, oh, I'm going to start at Oklahoma. Like, no, he was a stud. He's a record setting quarterback, high school quarterback from the state of Texas, like the greatest quarterback in high school football history in Texas. And for him to be like, knowing that he's going to be starting at OU, the a's had to at least know that okay we're spending the number 9 pick on a guy who might not end up sticking with us yeah and i said so th- that that's risky on their part they took that risk and it's probably going to end up burning them
2: probably and i think i think it was a couple of things they were figuring he'd be more like a third or fourth round projection because they were like he's 5'10 they'll never give him a shot and it's like a lot of teams will never give him a shot but not all of them and the ones that do consider or are willing to give him a shot are going to all be uh you know climbing over each other trying to get to him first or so i think so uh the other thing they might have made a mistake on was forgetting that kyler murray is a professional athlete's son and whereas that base you know the baseball signing bonuses that works on kids from dominican republic but it's not going to work on kyler murray he's he's more analogous to like andrew luck or something like that you know uh so he he didn't they the money was not as much of a, a carrot as they thought and in him not being desperate for that immediate payday meant that yeah it's like he can go to the NFL and especially now that he's projected as a first round pick and uh it's no problem for him to give that signing bonus back because he'll get another much bigger one in a few months
1: so we'll we'll dive into this uh you know at a later date but just just put on our our, uh, our time machine here for a second three weeks from now say Murray is at the combine what in your mind is is it, uh, the biggest thing that he's going to need to be proving that week at the combine for NFL execs?
2: Uh I, I don't think his
1: performances there are all that important, but they, he'll have to. The g- official measurement is going to be like crazy, well, just crazy scrutinized, right? So I'm optimistic. What if he's five eight.
2: I don't think he is because I feel like the athletics would have already determined that. Like I feel like they've they've got whatever their own combines and stuff. So this isn't like where we are just. Guessing from what the school tells us, I think he actually is five ten, and I, I think like the athletics would have uh, found out otherwise and let it slip at some point, and we'd hear like, yeah, he's actually five eight and yeah, three I think he's <laughs> he might he might 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 be something like five nine and five eighths, but he'll be listed at five ten, and I don't even yeah, I don't know how much like, it matters. How the how d- yeah,
1: like how much could it really change? Everyone already knows that he's short,
2: right? <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where specifically does someone mean to argue that if you are uh like three fifths of or sorry like uh, three eighths of an inch shorter than russell wilson that it's like well that was that was the margin of error it's like you went from all pro one of the very best ever to like i don't even want you on my team get out just just based on and because of the yeah that's that three inch but three eighths of an inch buddy um so i I don't think any of that really makes any sense i think some teams in the nfl are still stupid i think people like john elway would prefer someone like drew lock over kyler murray but i think i think uh haskins will be the first one and i think for good reason he's he's there's less you know projection involved with his application to the nfl than than with murray who murray at least we can all acknowledge he probably needs like a bigger spread emphasis not necessarily but but, uh, it would help to spread the field more because it just gives him more room to take advantage of it and it's a little easier to see that way
1: and i mean he plays better that way a little bit out of structure
2: yeah it, it just it's making the most of his what he has to offer but i think a team like the giants or the jaguars if they don't get haskins basically they, they need him and, and Oakland I don't quite think would be the team I feel like they would be the ones to take Haskins so I feel like we're setting up a scenario depending on what happens with Nick Foles admittedly Tom Coughlin is not the kind of guy I can imagine saying like let's go get Kyler Murray so I feel like the Giants might be my favorite at the moment but if not them that would be electric if not them yeah that would I think it's like day one he's a top 10 fantasy quarterback if he goes to the Giants uh, maybe even like top eight seven six something like that he put up big numbers yes. um but yeah th- then it's uh the jaguars are after the giants i can't there's some team in like the 13 14 range i, I figure would would be next Dolphins? in the maybe yeah but um in any case it's like i think murray's gonna be a top 15 pick and that's that's like the crucial thing to recall it's like if he goes in the top 15 baseball has nothing to
1: offer him exactly exactly because you know that like you can theoretically make more money over the duration of you of of your baseball career if everything goes right if you have like a like you know a rod is an extreme example but you know a all-star caliber MLB player that gets all of his money guaranteed like yes he can make more money with, with less physical damage uh, inflicted on his body but like you said a first round draft pick in the NFL a top 15 draft pick uh, that's going to be a lot more money up front
2: yeah there's that and then from there the, the reason I said before it's much it's almost a certainty that he would get cut before he walked away is because if he's on that rookie contract and this top 15 pick deal He's getting a lot more money up front, yes. But then from that point, things can go basically one of two ways. One way is that he's good and they want to extend him. Mm -hmm. In that case, MLB money again cannot compete. If he gets cut, that's when he might go to baseball. And if he does go to baseball... On as a result of being cut, no one's complaining really, other than the fact that like, oh, he was a bust. They're not saying like, oh, he betrayed us going back to baseball. Like, no, no one's gonna at that point be like, it's your job to move to receiver now.
1: Yeah, the only sour grapes will be from the team that that drafted him in their fan base,
2: right? So it's like either he will be there for a long time because the finances will dictate that, because that's how good he is, or the team will reject him. He will not reject the team.
1: Yeah, I again, you know, bottom line, I think we we're both on the same page that that football is is option a and i think he's going to be a top 15
2: pick and yeah that's why i'm going to keep him at i think eight overall in the dynasty rankings until further notice
1: there we go well um you know with that obviously again he's the uh biggest story of these combine invites that were just released today uh i want to get into a couple of guys uh i want to start out with with some of the ones that i am a little bit surprised that they made it but i'm glad uh that they did um leading off uh, this guy jazz ferguson uh, out of northwestern he's state an
2: oklahoma guy right uh lsu lsu um, and right.
1: he's a big guy uh six 215 uh high three star uh coming out of high school never really did a ton at lsu production wise but which lsu receiver does um and then he put up the type of numbers that you would hope a guy an athlete of that caliber would at the fcs level this year just absolutely dominated and the the, the film looked like complete just man amongst boys uh type of uh scenario there so i'm excited to see uh what he can do there You know, once he's compared to all these other guys,
2: yeah. So I, I I don't know who why I was mixing him up. Was there some other Jazz for Oklahoma than a Jazz Reynolds or something? I don't know. Anyway, um, Jazz Ferguson uh, is someone that I, I basically just i haven't seen him play and i need to do more research but yeah the numbers at northwestern state are pretty interesting he's younger than i i would have guessed like i think he's only I think he
1: was only at lsu for three years and got his degree
2: okay yeah because uh yeah he might have been a, a relatively like young for his class because i think he's only turning 22 or he turned 22 as of about a month ago which a lot of these other small school guys in this draft are all like red shirt seniors that might be pushing like 24 25 mm-hmm. for all we know but yeah jazz ferguson and I, I don't know what to make of uh you know his athleticism or whatever but if he's an lsu recruit and if he really jumped out on tape maybe he'll actually time pretty well and he's someone that i've overlooked in my rankings so far and i'll I'll probably need to change that soon
1: yeah i think you know let the combine kind of you know steer you one way or the other you know because right now it's not like he's really on the on the uh, radar of being like a you know, anything more than like a six-round draft pick. But, you know, a, a, a big showing at the combine can certainly change that. Another guy, uh, small school guy, but at the FBS level uh, that's, that's a big-bodied uh, player, uh, my comparison to him is Javin Wims uh georgia guy last year now he's on the chicago bears uh, jamarius way out of south alabama around nine yards per target this year eight touchdowns on 64 catches he's 22 so not super old right uh, he'll be turning 23 in november 6-4 uh 220 i th- i feel like he kind of has a similar background to whims where like he just wasn't a polished guy coming out of high school he didn't maybe he didn't have enough he went years. Zuko, right yes he started or he came to South Alabama from Juco, he was committed to Bethune-Cookman, so that lets you know that he was okay. a, like a two-star as a senior, so I think he was just a guy that maybe football came to him a little bit later on, maybe he was going to try to do something else uh, first. I mean, w- hit, with him being 6 it wouldn't surprise me if he was like trying basketball first or whatever, but I feel like he was just scratching the surface coming out of high school, obviously blew it up at at the junior college level, and then was really, really strong for for his time uh, at South Alabama. So he's a guy that I think, uh, you know, we'll get into a more like this guy's going to make a name for himself with a combine uh, type of thing a little bit later on in this series. But uh, he's someone that I'm glad got the combine invite.
2: Yeah, he's another one that I need to look into more. And uh, th- that his trajectory or that his origins are so humble is not necessarily like a big deal. Like that's that sounds almost exactly like the course that Gerald Everett took, is including like being at bethune cookman um but in
1: oh, any- south Alabama, that's crazy. yeah
2: yeah um but uh, obviously a little bit because he ended up going to tight end rather than receiver but in any case uh these these kinds of guys with this kind of production at the size that they have if they test well at the combine it, it can just really change the entire formula because they might be projected as like undrafted right now but the uh the gulf between like a fourth round pick and an undrafted guy is actually pretty small because mm-hmm. it's like oftentimes teams are deciding on the basis of like well how many special team snaps can he give us like how many uh, you know how many snaps are we getting from the guys that we are the five receivers we already have under, under contract this much oh that's that's not enough we can't pick him but maybe it's like a team we'll have enough and they can take a project guy things things slip a lot on the basis of small things and so if, if these guys run uh, you know in the top athleticism of their class at their size. They could go from undrafted to more like even – Uh, on the verge of you know the second day if some team really falls in love with him
1: exactly so he'll be interesting and again a guy that i'm stoked uh to see there in indy and then uh one last guy uh tight end uh this guy keenan brown uh pro football focus is like in love with this guy and he had i mean it's hard to find great tight ends uh or at least from, from like the college fantasy football uh perspective and obviously uh this is a year where the tight end crop for the nfl draft super deep but i think he's a guy that's sort of been lost in the wash uh, he's not—he's not necessarily like a top five tight end in this class, but it's a strong again, class. Yes, exactly. But I mean, he's a guy that you know, 51 catches as a tight end this year. Really, you know, he was pretty much the only viable offensive option that that uh, Texas State uh, had. And you know, he's five touchdowns, 577 yards on 77 targets. Uh, so he's someone that, that I think could also kind of reestablish himself on the radar and, and, you know, make, maybe make people reconsider their tight end ranks a little bit.
2: Right. I'm not familiar with him either. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what, what, uh, I can learn about these guys at the combine, but yeah, in a, in a strong tight end class, a guy like Brown is going to be probably way off the dynasty radar, but he could, he could say involved in any, in any case, uh, just cause, uh, I mean, for all we, for all we know, the NFL could have a, a looming demand for like big slot targets, and if he can, if he proves that he can run at the combine, then uh, the otherwise skill he demonstrated as a pass catcher would become more interesting. So he's he's probably what do you think like? Uh, I know he's he's a late round guy right now, but do you think he could kind of push for that mid rounds? And do you expect him to run any particular
1: way? I have some doubts about what the athleticism is going to end up okay. looking like. Maybe he's uh, like another
2: David Morgan or something like that, where could, it's like could be. And, so, and I don't mean that as like a bad thing. It's like David Morgan's getting paid a lot of money to play football every year for the past few years, and for all we know, he could end up a starter on some team in the near future. But yeah, just just showing the uh, the skill set as a receiver and being able to produce as a Pass catcher, uh, a leading pass catcher on an offense is, is a pretty nice start.
1: Yeah, exactly. So at least someone to, you know, e- e- mark for later. Yeah, maybe again, he had a really dominant uh, season. So on the other end of the spectrum, we got some guys that we felt. Uh, We're snubbed. We are in lockstep on this one, a guy that was a huge part of our Senior Bowl uh, podcast, Penny Hart, which just, you know, I feel like generally, if you go to the Senior Bowl, you're going to get a combine invite. And if you blow it up at the Senior Bowl, like doubly so. So I don't understand how he's not on this list.
2: Yeah, there was a Chad Williams, was it the other year who like from Grambling? Yeah. yeah, he had a big senior bowl, but he was also like a late addition, which I think was the case with Hart as well. I don't think he was I think he was in because like Emmanuel Hall didn't go or oh, something okay. like yeah. that. Yeah. But in any case, uh it's 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 kind of annoying to me because I th- I think you can look at a guy like uh Penny Hart and you can tell from the combine invite list that it's Whatever process the Combine has for its invitation, it seems pretty arbitrary. And I feel like you can look through the list and tell, like, oh, this is just some pet case for some guy, some scout was just like, I freaking love Miles Boykin. Oh my and, God, I was literally just about to like, say. This. Like him, like Justice Cus, or sorry, uh, Jamal Custis. Um, from Syracuse, it's like th- he's like a fifth-year guy who didn't do anything except for like the first three weeks of the year. Like, what are we doing? He's
1: pretty th- good at the Shrine Bowl and the practices when he's six <sighs> five going against a five ten guy. Yeah, pretty it's sweet. like
2: how do we have these things where like the Senior Bowl doesn't want Custis and yet the Combine does? And I maybe it's the kind of thing they look at heart and they're like, we know what he is. And it's like, well you don't though no, give him a chance yeah so like, like let, him, let him some of these guys i can just scratch off a bunch of these names i can just you just know that some of these guys will not be nfl receivers hart will mm-hmm. and the question of how much of an opportunity he'll get is a different question but he's good enough to play and yet it's like just denied the chance to prove it so that's kind of frustrating i also i also think Ol- Olameda Z- Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, yeah. Okay, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but he's he's such an interesting guy because he's got the running back receiver crossover skill set, was really productive the last couple of years. Maybe he's not that fast exactly, but I feel like with so many slot receiver snaps in the NFL future, and, and we've seen with Naheem Hines uh, what it, how it helps to have a guy who can go from the backfield out wide and run routes competently, uh, be it from the slaughter out wide. I don't know how Zacchaeus was not uh valued by somebody a uh, very it's productive player th-
1: numbers at virginia yeah for so several I- years
2: right yeah so i think he's going to be uh he's probably never going to be he's probably not more than even like an isaiah mckenzie kind of thing to begin with but it's like th- you know guys like that belong at the combine mm-hmm. so it's it's weird to me uh custis like i said I, I i think it's just kind of like out of the question that he's particularly uh nfl likely but I for think, what for what it's worth it is it is a pretty deep receiver class i think like
1: a guy like, it's nice to see that at least so kj johnson it's, it's annoying with,
2: it's annoying for some
1: of those guys to get in over the like the snubs that we're mentioning then
2: yeah totally but at least at least like k i guess he's going by kj now Keyshawn johnson maybe smart branding fresno yeah <laughs> uh, but i was worried a guy like him would get overlooked and uh who knows maybe some of these included su- surprise inclusions like uh well, i did murray or, so, yeah. or stanley Moore. Morgan, i don't think is even worth really being there it's like whatever he can give you he's a practice squad guy i don't care Ola
1: bc johnson too i mean it, i don't know if the nfl felt like required to bring in a colorado state guy after preston williams you know what's funny
2: i remember before i don't know if it was back like a year ago already or if it was more like in the fall preseason i remember land Zierline specifically mentioning him as like one of the best uh receivers in the nation like ranking him like top 10 before this year. maybe it was either him or jeremiah it was one of those nfl.com guys and uh now that i'm I'm not going to try to suggest like a conspiracy theory where it's like <laughs> zero line makes the list but <laughs> it is funny to me that nfl media was hyping him and now he's at the combine even though he didn't really he didn't do anything this year did he he, like, he was fine he was fine but he like got uh there was that other guy that warren uh wasn't there another colorado state receiver who was in any case jackson yeah it's like he kind of like struggled to stand out anyway preston williams is the only
1: real colorado uh state receiver in my opinion yeah from the from this class yeah it was warren jackson he's tall guy kind of interesting but um
2: in any yes. case it's it's a uh, there's they could do better with their combine selection as as in any other year but uh, it seemed especially arbitrary this year for some reason
1: i've got another snub and they, they brought on two of his two mates two of his teammates so maybe they thought uh it'd be weird to bring on a third uh so cody thompson out of toledo got in and uh Deontay johnson also uh, got in and i think you know both of those guys deserve to, to make it here but uh john vay johnson uh, had better numbers than, than both of those guys on a per-target basis this year by like a pretty fair margin. He was at 11 yards a target, 21 yards a catch, uh, seven touchdowns on twenty-nine uh, receptions, whereas Deontay Johnson and Cody Thompson both sub eight in the yards per target.
2: Yeah, Cody Johnson had that really nasty injury a couple of years yes. ago, and I don't know if he lost something with that. If so, he, he still did, had
1: ten he, scores, so r- he did, he did well. Oh
2: yeah, he was he was really productive before that injury. It was it was just like I remember back then he was doing like twelve yards a target, mm-hmm. and I guess that could just be because of Woodside being the quarterback at the time. But it's uh, in any case, I. I, I And I guess to be serious, I should say, Ola BC Johnson is fine. I don't mean he's like actually. A not a real receiver but uh i just i just think penny heart zakias should be there i don't know why they couldn't just like make the group bigger like why why does it need to be the same thing every year like can't you just uh accommodate it on the basis of like who's worth inviting
1: yeah and know. you can you can trim it in years where the group simply isn't all that good or all that deserving of getting there so but
2: yeah. uh yeah we'll we'll see I, I i'm i'm interested in seeing like yeah ferguson like you mentioned and uh the the other uh Jumaris way uh him yes and then also the tight ty- uh keenan brown mm-hmm. um but yeah i'm i'm mostly i guess uh i don't know I'm, I'm i'm curious about the big names at this one as much as i'm lamenting the absence of the the, the smaller little guys i, I really w- i'm excited to see what uh you know like me cole hardman and marquise brown do there. aj brown dk metcalf all those guys they might not all run but uh oh. I, I hope they do
1: God, I hope – yeah, no, that would be – You're faster at pro problem. days. That's yes, just, that's, you
2: know, if you like the better headlines, it's easy. You just run at your pro day.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you could also, you know, spin the narrative like, oh, he didn't – you know, run a disappointing 40 at the combine, say something was off, then then crush that score at the at your pro day even better. Yeah, he could. Uh,
2: But yeah, we'll we'll see. It's there's there's a lot of interest for me in the receiver class, especially this year, just because it's it's got this narrative that's like, well, it doesn't have any star power, and I'm feeling like, well, maybe it does. It just star power looks differently than it used to with the number of slot snaps that we have now. It's like guys like Preston Williams are pretty rare. The six four, you know, four four flat guy is not necessarily as useful as it used to be, and now we got more uh, slot guys being useful and and, uh, by contrast so it's pretty interesting group even though there isn't uh, there's, there's a lot worth monitoring even though there's not any like megatron to look forward to
1: yeah that's yeah i think that's a good way to put it and then as far as the running back uh snubs go these are these are a little bit lighter um, but I thought Ty Johnson deserved at least yeah. a, a, a shot. He's a Maryland product, over seven yards a carry in each of his uh, seasons at Maryland, uh, averaged nine point one yards per carry when he was a sophomore in 2016, and that was over 110 carries sample. So always an explosive guy. I thought that he deserved at least a shot. He was kind of dinged up his senior year, but still over seven yards a carry uh, this past season. And then a guy that uh, you and I have been a little bit confused as to the buzz this one has been generating. Uh, but Divine Zigbo out of. Nebraska, a guy who's a big back, but uh, finally had a breakout as a senior uh, this past year. I think it's fair to say that Nebraska, the three seasons previous, kind of stunk and had a really clunky offense under Mike Riley uh the uh the infusion of Scott Frost and a mobile quarterback a really mobile quarterback and Adrian Martinez this year made that offense uh kind of stress defenses out in a way where a zigbo it makes all the sense in the world that a guy that you know is pushing 220 pounds and is moderately explosive he's almost for, pushing for 240 size. I think at, at, at one point he was I'm he's not, listed I'm at not 235 sh- Jeez, um yeah. <laughs> but yeah either way like he's he had good numbers this year but I don't think the tape is like you know, yeah I'm blowing I'm just like Vince McMahon like shocked face right so
2: this. he's just not really an NFL prospect in my opinion he's facing like Rob Kelly type long shot odds and that's because his first three years they not only weren't productive he struggled to get on the field and I'm thinking like that's like guys like Terrell Newby or something like mm-hmm. that like guys who just aren't good like and Kale he's Will Bond oh my god yeah he's he's struggling to separate from guys like that and then he has what looks like a really good year this year he's seven yards a carry and you could say like well maybe he like got better maybe he lost some weight and just got better or something and the thing is I mean, probably not me. uh well it, he probably was in better shape or I think, something i think
1: frost got that whole team in a mo- in much oh, better condition
2: probably but like even so a thousand eighty two yards seven yards a carry you look a little closer he had one two three four five good games okay he had five good games all Illinois year uh one was against bethune cookman one was against Illinois. in those two games he combined for 270 yards and four touchdowns on 22 carries and so and then uh, another 12 game or sorry 12 carry big game against minnesota 12 carries for 152 yards so you look at that 1082 seven yards a carry 12 touchdowns what it actually is that you're looking at is basically that he had uh A span of something like 22, 34, 50, 50, uh, no, sorry, about 70 good carries in his college career. So if that's like exciting to you, by all means, but for me, that's like, nope, I'm going to skip this one.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm,
2: I'm not even. I'm not going to watch any tape of him. I'm
1: sorry, it's ridiculous. It. Yeah. So uh, all the listeners out there that, that might see the, you know, this the Zigbo smoke on Twitter, just just go ahead and ignore that. Just, just skip it. All right. So that'll wrap it up for our for our combine uh, portion of this. Uh, let's move on, Mario. You've been uh, getting in on some of the early best ball. Uh, season here with the season now officially over now we can really dive into some best ball um, and you you're getting like an early read on the market you know obviously it's february Um so how is that first draft going and, and what have been like your biggest takeaways from the early rounds
2: yeah so i'm only in the third round of this five dollar 12 team league on draft.com and the adp is very tenuous i don't even know if they've done like 12 drafts to this point uh, I think they have I think they've done probably like 100 or something like that so I don't know what the, what the volume is informing the ADP numbers they had but one thing that immediately jumped out to me like even before the the draft started when I was just looking through the player list in ADP was David Johnson was at 16th overall which placed him 11th among running backs now I think that was going to I think it's a certainty that that would have gone up for sure like in the probably the short term and at worst by like the summer uh but he'll he'll i think settle in as a top 12 pick i feel pretty safe saying that and i also think he'll settle in as like a uh an often top 10 pick and maybe often top eight but in the meantime i'm just i posted an article about this in the nfl section i think that uh ranking johnson lower than eight is just absurd so
1: who are the three running backs ahead of him that were sort of not really supposed oh
2: to uh so Nick Chubb is one and I love Chubb of course but it's like David Johnson is a guy who could come within like 30 or 40 carries of Chubb's carry count and I would as a floor project him to have as many as like 30 more receptions mm-hmm. and when you're working with that kind of starting point it's one of those things where it's like I need Chubb to score 22 touchdowns on the ground to safely offset that and there's an upside scenario with David Johnson too. It's like I projected in that article some pretty uh, pessimistic scenarios as far as his yards per carry and his uh, share percentage of the carries on the team. And I'm, I'm presuming a lot more plays run and more pass plays among the plays run because of Cliff Kingsbury being there. Okay. And I talked about you know Chip Kelly when he went from Oregon to Philadelphia, some of the trends, that, uh, how, how they carried over, how people received him at the time and it actually reminds me of that quite a bit and specifically LaShawn mccoy it reminds me of because mccoy was coming off a 12 game year if i remember right where he had like two touchdowns rushing it was injury shortened i think Mm -hmm. and um the next year was when kelly showed up and that's when he ran for like 17 touchdowns and had the huge numbers and people i think were like Alienated by McCoy, not just because of the relatively disappointing prior season, but they thought like this new coach. I just don't know what it means. It's it's very it's a lot of uncertainty. I think, and I think that's wrong. I think it's uncertain how it will look specifically and how it will work. But we know, or how well it would work, I should say. But we know what he's going to do. He's going to run a lot more plays, and it's going to be a lot more aggressive of an offense than what was there before. Last year was the worst case sixteen game scenario for Johnson, and he still finished as the running back ten in fantasy points so it was it was a disappointing year and he was a total bust as a anywhere from first to third overall pick in most leagues but for him to be going and running back 11 right now even factoring for things like carry on johnson's injury and leonard fournette's injury i think that's absurd it's like unless you think david johnson was never good you can explain last year by still steve wilkes's impossibly bad management and any coach roster any coach at all that they would have hired would have projected for a, a bounce back of some kind for johnson and cliff kingsbury specifically is about the best thing possible i think because that's a team that aspires to run an you know the nfl version anyway of the air raid and yet they're one of the weakest pass catching groups in the nfl larry Fitzgerald will be 36 in august
1: Christian Kirk, I, I don't think, know why he signed up for another year of this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: he'll be running a lot, I guess. So it's a good way to stay in shape. Um, but yeah, yeah I, much Christian much. Kirk, I think, is going to be really, really good if his foot is okay. But I don't know what to make of that broken foot. I like Trent Sherfield, but it's like the point is we've got a lot of snaps and a lot of receiver snaps, a lot of targets, and not many candidates to easily project for them. Like Ricky Seals Jones was a disaster last year. So I think David Johnson will be utterly indispensable for an offense that figures to run among the most plays in the league
1: and i I, you know i think so you're bringing up that he could get some of the like a bit of a target bump too
2: oh yeah absolutely i think he's he's i'm gonna project him to lead the league in running back receiving yardage i think he could receive over a thousand yards this year
1: and yeah i mean that's that's huge and i think that's something that you know if we had known if we i guess like with wilkes uh, and not knowing how bad this was this all was going to go I thought that a thousand a thousand was on the table for him coming into last year and then uh, I'd also like to add that with the air raid and the sort of spread out type of formation I don't know the numbers right off the top of my head what Arizona was looking at as far as number of plays run against loaded boxes this year but th- whatever that number is you gotta just cut it like in half because mm-hmm. there's just no way for a defense to defend at that type of offense with a loaded box yeah and and, uh,
2: and one that thing obviously that obviously
1: was- helps David Johnson's yards per carry
2: right one thing that was weird that Mike McCoy especially was doing but even left which under Steve Wilkes was doing was they were running not just Johnson inside, they were specifically putting it behind like the center and guards constantly over and over and over. The same dive play that is just kind of conceptually bad to begin with, unless you're facing like a you know 5 dB front.
1: And well, I've seen that picture on like next gen stats, it's just like these horrible, like, oh, there's just like a red arrow going up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so
2: it's 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 hideous the offense they were running. You really can't overstate how bad it was. It was the worst, it was the worst one I've ever seen, I think. And uh, it's it's it would have been better if they had made you or me the head coach and that it's cliff kingsbury means that not only were that will there be that dead cat bounce that would have happened anyway it's going to be to the tune of probably like eight more plays per game or something like that and specific and also a much higher percentage of those plays are going to be pass attempts so david johnson I think conventionally projects as their second best pass-catching option, but behind a healthy Christian Kirk, we don't know how healthy he'll be. I can see Johnson getting like, you know, not 100 catch a
1: lot of catches
2: though I don't know how it's going to look it's 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 something new and we know they need him to do this it, thing
1: yeah and also like that helps I mean it helps Rosen press the easy button and I think that it's a good thing for the Cardinals to just kind of do that and you know get him some more confidence because last year I mean I'm I'm really worried about like a David Carr type of trajectory for him where oh it's yeah it's yeah. like he's not bad but the rest of the team just kind it just folds in on itself in such a way that he never really gets gets his career going. consider
2: how the Colts used Naheem Hines last year he's not particularly good in my opinion but he was a problem for defenses the way they use him because they put him in the backfield motion him out you know what the coverage is you maybe have a linebacker or safety on him if they put a corner on him fine at least the corner's not covering something else then you don't care but using David Johnson that way motioning him out of the backfield making that defense start with a dime formation if they wanna presume that you're motioning them outside. And if they if you don't motion them outside, you're running at a corner who's playing linebacker or something like that. There's so much you can do to dictate the defense with David Johnson that Wilkes, McCoy, Leftwich, whoever's fault it was they didn't do that at all. And Kingsbury will. And people look at uh, the, the low pass catching totals of the Texas Tech running backs. And I've seen some anxiety over that. It's like, it's not analogous. He's not going to use David Johnson like he did delay and Ward or, uh, <laughs> you know, DeAndre Washington. He's going to use David Johnson in those situations more like he used the Texas Tech receivers mm-hmm. because he'll be their best receiver. Yep. So, that's uh that's the way i see it and i'm sure he, again david johnson's adp was going to go to like top 12 anyway i think he belongs in the top eight okay. uh i'm, I'm probably going to pick him as high as fifth overall this year depending on uh you know my my general portfolio uh construction in any particular point but uh going away from johnson a little bit i, I guess i could just read that the way the draft started you can, you can just yelp when something uh terrifying happens uh but this is pretty standard i think barkley barkley, barkley Gurley, zeke And then at four, this is where things get more ambiguous to me, and I I don't really have any – I don't have any feeling about that first three as long as it's one of those first three. And then I don't have any strong opinion about Kamara, who went fourth, McCaffrey, who went fifth, uh, Melvin Gordon, who went sixth. And uh, then we had a run on receivers. DeAndre Hopkins went seventh. I took Tyreek Hill at eight because I was being greedy and seeing if David Johnson would make it to my second-round pick, which he did. But after Tyreek, it was Devontae Adams at nine, Nick Chubb at ten. James Connor at 11
1: Adams feels a little bit high but I, I mean I get it though
2: yeah so what's interesting about the pool this year uh, at least in this draft that I'm looking at is wide receiver is insanely deep relative to past standards running backs much deeper too but I think we're I don't know where I'm going exactly with it I'm going to need to do more best ball drafts to see how things usually play out but I took Tyreek Hill in this case because uh, I just feel like he's you know, he's Mahomes' number one target. He's he's in his own category as far as reliability goes. Even Hopkins as great as he is. I'm a little more worried in the short term, at least, about that offensive line in Houston being a problem. And if sure. it's Watson's getting hurt, which he's done in the past, Hopkins is incredible and he'll still be good, but Hill could be, you know, unstoppable and incredibly good with Pat Mahomes as his quarterback, I think, more reliably than you could say the same with uh Hopkins and Watson. But in any case, i'm i'm looking at this late second round in this draft and like odell beckham fell to the like 24 like 23rd pick that's stupid so i think if 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 odell beckham is going that late and if uh you know juju smith schuster went ahead of him by about seven picks which by the way i don't really agree with uh don't feel strongly about it
1: wide receiver one in pittsburgh he's he's, this is something we'll we'll definitely like have to unpack throughout the right i guess
2: i guess if if i were less scatterbrained and i thought this through better i would say like the general thing is there's in that second round range there's a lot of receivers who you would be almost excited to pick let alone you know content to pick Mm -hmm. and if that's the case and and i generally don't expect it to be the case as much at running back i want to target running back earlier even if i'm taking somebody like uh you know connor's not a a, you know he's an obvious first round pick candidate but it's like i might want to think even if he's playing for the jets maybe i gotta seriously think about Lavian bell at like 10th overall if if connor chubb like that guys like that are already gone because if you can get if tyree kill is going at eight and odell beckham is still available in the late second then i just want to like trade back into the late second and take odell beckham there we can't do that in snake drafts so i feel like it's it's worth considering reaching for running back maybe maybe even uh kelsey or Ertz, uh and then you know bank just waiting for the leftovers of that wide receiver group because we got guys like adam thielen going in the late second early third which is uh you know based on how how he played last year he's worth you could justify taking him like top fifteen in PPR scoring and but and yet he's not meaningfully different from guys like Devontae Adams and Juju Miss Schuster and Julio Jones in a lot of ways. So it seems like there's just this new richness at receiver. And I took Tyreek eighth. In hindsight, I think I might have gone, I guess uh playing the market rate, I would have gone with chubb or connor even though i have david johnson ahead of them both just to see if david johnson would fall to my second pick anyway but yeah it's it's like i I feel like the high upside running backs of which i consider david johnson one of them you really want to get them because i'm going into the third round of this draft running backs like joe mixon sony michelle damian williams dalvin cook they're all off the board and yet we're going into the third receivers still left include ty hilton keenan allen amari cooper aj green so oh, uh there's there's a lot at receiver even then okay um and yet at running back there's still some there's more names than in the past like in the third round the third round this year at running back is not nearly as scary as the third round last year because now we've got guys like philip Lindsay. uh uh i was just i was just uh carry on uh, guys like that leonard fournette's down in like the third round adp it's a I lot deeper at running back and receiver both but i feel like the group of of plausible like white uh receiving title candidates at receiver is longer than you could say of the yards per scrimmage uh leader at running back like you're pretty much you got like five guys that can do that Mm -hmm. and not get or six i guess we could be up to but getting one of those guys is pretty important i might try to do like more auctions this year than than snake drafts if if it keeps looking this way
1: interesting interesting well uh that's a really good breakdown any any last add-ons to that
2: not really. I've got Tyreek at eight. I've got David Johnson in the second. I'm a few picks away. It looks like uh, so Zach Ertz went with the 10th t- pick in the second round, then went Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, Adam Thielen. Antonio Brown went 3.2. Uh, so that's, that's the kind of depth that we're talking about at receiver.
1: That is, yeah, that's remarkable. So that that's good to, it's good to get like an early feel on the market and, and you know, the, the top tier running back it's, it's probably, I feel like last year it, it ended after like three, maybe four, de- depending on when you're going And obviously after Le'Veon kind of, uh, ran out of consideration there. But having it be like a a uh, six-player chunk, I think, is interesting. Uh, So it gives more people a chance to get one of those guys. But I I am with you where it is important to get those guys because the receiver pool a lot deeper than, than the running back one is overall.
2: Yeah. And maybe it's more important than ever to consider a third round reversal setup for your snake drafts if you do them, because it's, that is when, right, where it's like first first pick gets the last pick in the second round and then the last pick in the third. I think so. Okay. Because yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it still would be worth taking that first pick even so, because it's like, again, guys like Antonio Brown, Adam Thielen, Mike Evans, it's like you don't feel strongly about ranking them before or after Devonte Adams type and yet they're going as many as like 14 picks later.
1: Yeah, god that's that is yeah, that's absolutely crazy. Antonio Brown's uh, stock will also be something that's really interesting uh, to watch over these next couple to of months. To say the least. Yeah, see where he lands. All right, so that's going to wrap things up for today's edition. We will be back next week Valentine's Day edition oh really (laughs) i I think it is okay Uh, (laughs) i
2: always i know i don't know what time of the year it is ever so i'm i'm i thought it was a different time (laughs) i
1: just know that it's cold out but yes that'll that'll do it for today's edition we will be back next week getting you more set and ready uh for the combine and a few other odds and ends maybe some more uh breakdown from mario's uh slow draft so that'll do it for us here on the rotowire nfl podcast thanks for listening